Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. Word of God, it's an honor. And it's an honor to stand in this pulpit um, under the authority of our pastor, Pastor Dale. Thank you so much for your example and your belief in me and your leadership. And church, I hope you realize how blessed we are to have a lead pastor like we do. Amen. If you got a Bible, go ahead and wave it in the air like you just do care, okay? Awesome. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. Matthew is in the New Testament. Um, It's one of the Gospels about Jesus's life. Gospel means victory and good news. So we're gonna be in Matthew chapter four. You can get there, get a head start. If you're competitive like me, you can elbow the person next to you and say, I'm there before you. There you go. So have any of you ever had a secret or maybe like, Maybe it's a, a, a something you're quiet about, an aspiration in your life, right? You're like, I kind of really like this, or I really want to be this and do this, but I'm not telling anybody because I'm a little bit nervous about it. So the earliest aspiration that I had in my life was to be a Jedi Knight. Yeah, I really, I really wanted to, to be a Jedi Knight. I... I My parents were saved. They came to Jesus in something called the Jesus Movement in the 1970s, and their lives were radically changed. Um, However, they were skeptical of anything that involved magic or forces outside the biblical narrative. So I was very quiet about my dream to be a Jedi Knight because it was Satanism. The Christmas, I was seven years old, and on Christmas morning, there was a mysterious present underneath a tree. I still, to this day, don't know who got it for me, but I remember what was inside. It was a green lightsaber, and I was immediately ecstatic. I was like, yes, like, my dreams are coming true. Like, I'm going to get the force next. Like, here we go. I'm going to take the garbage out from the porch and just be like, boom, and be like, yeah, I'm gone. Nope, didn't happen. But... My excitement quickly changed when I saw the look in my mom's eyes. And if you're a mom, you know you have this look. And if you've, you're a kid, you know your mom's got a look. And so you look, I looked in her eyes and immediately it was the look of, this is probably getting donated to Goodwill or we might just skip it all together and it's going out to the dumpster, which I will have to take out to the curb <laughs> myself. But I hashed a plan. I was like, how can I connect the narrative of Star Wars to the Bible? How does it connect? My mom was a huge fan of C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. So I quickly went for the low-hanging fruit and said, Mom, it's just space Narnia. It's just the same thing. It's just space Narnia. And she shook her head and was like, no, wasn't getting anywhere. My next step was like, quickly as a seven-year-old, inventorying the stories I'd heard in the Bible and what could possibly connect to Star Wars. In the Old Testament, there's a book called Judges, and it's about Judges, okay? Spoiler alert. And there's a judge in there, and her name is Deborah, and she is fierce. She's a bad woman. Like, I don't mean bad as in bad. Like, she's, I'm scared of her. She's incredible. And she led the army of Israel against a general by the name of Sisera. And in that story, there's a passage that says, and the stars and their forces waged war against Sisera. 
I quickly was like, Mom, what about Deborah? The stars and their forces waged war against Sisera. I was able to keep the lightsaber, and my force training began. <laughs> what did you learn today? Star Wars is in the Bible. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Star Wars in, and scripture in our lives actually have a lot in common. We, we don't like to, to realize it, but there are forces at play that we don't understand. Forces that are warring against our finances, forces that are warring against our, our emotions, our worry, our anxiety, forces that are coming against our marriages and relationships, against our kids, against even just our mental stability. We live in a very real battlefield and it's unseen and sometimes it's confusing and scary. So how do we come against this force? How do we combat these forces that are from hell that desire to destroy and derail our destiny, destroy our families, and just wreak havoc in our lives? What do we do? We, well, praise good, yeah. Ephesians, Paul would say in Ephesians 6 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers and authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There are very real forces of hell trying to derail our lives, trying to come against us. And some of us, we feel like we're standing in the middle of a road with a plastic lightsaber trying to stop a Mack truck and it's not working. So what do we do? The good news, church, is that God has not left us alone to battle alone. God has not left us alone to battle alone. He has given us his word, the sword of the spirit. Because we're in this very real battle, we need to know our sword. We need to know the word of God. Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. Say powerful with me. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So the word of God not only informs the world around us, but it knows us intimately and causes us to know ourselves. Anyone ever been reading in the Bible and God has revealed something pretty ugly to you? And you're like, ouch, this is 9 a.m. It's too early for this. Some of you are like, 9 a.m., I get up at 5. Okay, like, I'm a work in progress. But here we go. We've not been left alone. So the big thought that we have this morning that I'm going to be preaching around is that the word of God is alive and powerful. But it's also applicable to us. We can apply the word of God to these very real situations, these very real forces that come against us, these very real struggles that we have as we strive to follow Jesus in 2020 and make his kingdom known on the earth. And there's forces that make that hard for me to do at times. So I need the word of God and you need the word of God. And what better place to look than the life of Jesus? And so here we go, Matthew chapter four. A little bit of setup before we jump in. Jesus has just been baptized. If the son of God was baptized you should probably be baptized too. Just a, a shameless plug for next Sunday. It's awesome. 
but he was baptized. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice from heaven cried out, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Megaphone blast. That's an awesome moment, right? I would be on top of the world. I'd be like, did you hear that? Yes, that's me. Like, yes, like I'm excited. Let's go. But it says immediately after this happened, the Holy Spirit led him from a river of refreshment and identity proclamation into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What? Did not see that coming. Plot twist. So Jesus modeled for us the power of the word against temptation in this passage. And it's important to note that he laid down his divinity meaning his God-like authority. And he picked up humanity, his humanity like us, to face the accuser like us. So this is what it says. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written. Father God, I pray this morning that your word will reveal to us truth and strength, that it would comfort us in the midst of our struggle, that it would give identity to our lives and to our families. Right now, we quiet our souls and rest in this moment. Speak to us and change us in your name. Amen. So it's important, again, we're hitting pause button right now. It is written, Jesus was fully God. We don't believe Jesus was like half God, part God. He was fully God. John would, sit, would tell us and remind us that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word came and put on flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus, fully God. And yet, and it's important for us to realize that he laid down his divinity, and he picked up his humanity. He is not fighting against the temptation of the enemy using his godlike capabilities. So I don't have to look at this passage and be like, that's cool and all, but, but you're Jesus. I, I, you're Jesus, okay? No, he's, he's not using the spoken word. He could have just said, not today, Satan, go! And that would have been it. Like, like temptation done, I'm gonna go eat because it's been 40 days and I'm hungry. No, he's using something that we have access to the written word of God, the written word of God. And so let's grasp that. He's not, it's not something that's far from us or foreign to us, but something we have access to that he defeats temptation with. Okay, cool. Important to note. Verse four again, because I like to repeat myself, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Church, the word has power in our need. The word has power in our need. We all know what it's like to be hungry on some level or another. It seems like I just, I, I get going. I love to like just work and I forget to eat. My wife literally will text me like, did you eat today? And I was like, I forgot. And so I will go a whole day without eating and I'll be hungry. Without fail, 9 a.m., staff meeting Monday morning, my stomach will start to growl. We're, we'll be in the middle of praying for your requests, on, you know, the super spiritual moment. I'm like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And then all of a sudden, Shamu wakes up. 
is like, blah, blah, blah. And like, Pastor Lauren looks across the room. Pastor Rebecca is just like looking over there like, what? Like, did his stomach just like completely like shout? Is his stomach praying? Yes, my stomach is spiritual. It's praying. <laughs> but we know what it's like to be hungry. Food is, is essential to our survival. But we many times hunger for much more than just food. We hunger for meaning and purpose and belonging and worth. And it seems like our world is full of nonstop advertisements making promises to, to fulfill those needs for worth and meaning and belonging and purpose. And many times we get, we buy into it and we arrive at the other side, sick to our stomachs and empty. And even the best things in life that life has to provide and offer are only an appetizer to the deepest longing of our lives, which is to know God and to be known by God. And so it's no wonder that the enemy recognizes this need in our lives and tempts us in our desires and in our needs. He was tempting Jesus in a way that's saying like, are you like, you're the son of God. Why is your father just led you out in the wilderness? Why are you starving to death? Does, does he delight in you? Then why are you hungry? Like, why don't you do something about that? Why don't you feed yourself? It echoes the very words that he spoke to Eve in Genesis 3. And it brings this question into play, does God really love you? Does he really care about you? And for us, we seek God for a lot of needs. And God is, let me just per, first preface that God is not a genie in a bottle that we just rub and get three wishes. We pray the will of God. We pray the will of God. However, many times it can seem like God's timetable and our timetable are a little different. Or we don't want to wait that long. How many are impatient in here? Just me? Okay. I get impatient. I'm like, oh, man, I get cart rage in the grocery store because I know what I want when I go in the grocery store. And then all of a sudden, like, I'm just like, I don't have time for you to peruse the aisles. I got places to be. Move. And I forgot my, my new, my, like, self bags, and now I've got to carry all this stuff out to my car. Like, we have desires that are good and God-given. We have desires for food and water and fulfilling vocation. We have desires for sleep and sex and relationships and companionship. Those are good desires, but this is the place that Satan works. James remind us, reminds us that it is not God that tempts us. There's a difference between trials and tests. There's difference. Trials draw us closer to God. Tests are from the enemy. Tests want to draw us away. Or, or sorry, trials are from the enemy. Tests are from God. There we go. I'll get it right. It's only in one service first, so have grace. But the enemy wants us to, to draw us away from God, and God wants us to be drawn to him. C.S. Lewis would eloquent, eloquently put that God speaks in our consciousness, but he yells in our pain. It is his microphone to rouse a deaf world. I'm like, why do you do that? Because you won't listen, Jeff. <laughs> so oftentimes we need to listen. 
So the place that Satan works is at the level of our wants and desires. You desire food, and he'll drive you to undisciplined eating. You desire fulfilling vocation, and he'll make you a workaholic and cause you to never rest. You desire rest, and he'll push you towards apathy and laziness. You desire sex, and he'll push you towards lust and adultery, pornography, and homosexuality. At the core of all this is the desire for self-gratification. It says to myself, God does not care about my needs and wants, and he's not doing anything about it, so I have to do it myself. And the moment that my wants go outside the will of God, I'm saying, I, I, I begin to sin. The moment that the circumstances around me like, dictate my actions and not the will of God to dictate my actions, I sin. Now to be clear, is the word saying that God does not care about your wants and your desires and your needs? No. It's simply saying, would you put your trust in the will of God and not in your own plan? And that's where Jesus drew the line in the sand and said, yes, I'm hungry. I'm not denying the desire and my need for food. I'm simply drawing a line to say, I won't cross over trying to do it in my own strength. I won't lean on my own understanding. I will lean on the will of God because he knew, he knew. The word does not deny your need, but rather takes it to God. And we can find that in Christ, we can seek God for our needs. Some of us have aches and pains and diagnosis and we're believing for a miracle. We're bringing that to God. Some of us have financial burdens and we're bringing that to God and say, God, help some of us have kids that we're just like, God, help me to raise my kids right. Help them to know you. We're trying to do the best we can. And we're bringing all this stuff to God. And the word is there in our need. The word brings supernatural support when we shouldn't have any. It brings supernatural provision when there was no way God made a way. But even in the moments where the will of God goes against what we think we need, someone we were praying for goes home. That kid that we've been praying for for so long chooses to ignore the call of God. Even in those moments, the word has power in our need because the word brings comfort alongside us. So it's important to know that the word has power in our need. And the enemy will try to come, he does, some of us, he's trying this morning. <laughs> Do you really need to go to church? Is that really what you need today? You need to sit home and watch the Pro Bowl, which no one cares about. But we need to respond to our need with the word of God to say, no, God, I choose to trust you. I choose to trust you. Let's continue on, verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to them, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will not, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now this is one of the temptations out of the three that we kind of struggle to relate to. We're like, um, I'm not standing on top of a pinnacle of a temple saying like, just kind of jump. No. However, we do struggle with our preference. We do. I struggle with my preference when it comes to the word of God and my preference. So 
what this passage is reminding us of is that the word has power over your preference because the enemy was tempting Jesus to doubt the presence of God. We are tempted to doubt the presence of God. God's not really here. I need to do something so he'll show up. God doesn't really care. Where are you, God? And the enemy twists the promises of God to fit his preference. He left out a key part of the passage that he quoted that took it completely out of context. So we too are tempted to twist the promises of God to fit our preference. Much like me at the beginning where I shared my story as a seven-year-old, I took the, the word of God and I twisted it to make my preference right there, like Star Wars is in the Bible, duh. But is that really true? In 1804, Thomas Jefferson sat in the White House with a Bible in one hand and a razor blade in the other, and he began to cut and paste a Jesus to his liking. And I find it interesting that so many people like Thomas Jefferson want a God that is made in their own image. They want a God that votes like them and lives where they live and looks like them and likes the thing that, things that they like and likes the sports team that they root for. One that they can control, one that they agree with, one that they can understand. But a God made in the image of man is a God that is too small. A God made in your image is too small. You see, because he's too small to bring comfort during seasons of doubt and personal crisis. He's too small to provide answers to our questions. He's too small to calm our fears. He's too small to give assurance in the face of death that he is good. He's too small. The only God that can meet these needs is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And he didn't give permission to anyone to change his nature. He didn't give permission to the president of the United States to change his nature. He didn't give uh, permission to professional athletes to change his nature. He didn't give permission to pastors to change his nature. He did not give permission to any of us to change his nature. So we must never divorce one part of scripture from another. But we compare scripture to scripture. Scripture interprets scripture. As Paul would remind the church in Corinthians, we compare spiritual things with spiritual things. Because the reality is you can prove almost anything by reading one text of the Bible. You can. People do it all the time. That's how cults arise. That's how movements that are completely against God arise. The white supremacy like movement, taking one passage of scripture, you can twist it pretty much any way to fit, fit your purpose and your preference. And so it's very important for us that we read the Bible in context. Who was it written to? How was it written? Instead of reading it as a pretext for our lives and our preferences, we have to read the Bible with discipline, to know the Bible. And when I read the Bible with discipline, I'm embracing the parts even that are uncomfortable for me or the parts that I don't like, like love your enemies and do good to those that persecute you. But what about this, God? What about, nope, nope, nope. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Honor those that are in authority. Pray for them. Right? We read the Bible with discipline. Jesus knew the word. He knew the word. And he wasn't about to be tricked by half-truth when he knew truth. So, for us to resist the temptation of our preference, we have to place our lives fully under the authority of God. 
Jesus did this when he was in the garden being tempted to give up the very mission that he was on. When he's like, if there's another way, take this cup from me, right? My preference is a different cup because this is hard. This is a lot. But nevertheless, he said, not my will be done, but yours. And we must have the same posture to say, God, I'm placing my life under the authority of scripture. And I'm humbly approaching it to allow it to inform my life before I turn it on other people to inform theirs, right? It's really easy to point out the speck in other people's eyes, be like, you've got something on your face when I've got pie all the way here. Some of you have commented on my beard and how much you like it. I appreciate it. But one of the things that's really hard about a beard is food. It's so difficult. You'll just be eating something delicious, and all of a sudden, it just becomes one. And you're just like, it's just right there. And so I'm constantly looking around to people around me. I'm like, hey, do I have something here? Do I have, you know, and like, I miss the side. Do you ever do that when someone's like, you got a little something here, and you're rubbing the wrong side of your face? It's so difficult. <laughs> so we have to allow the Bible to inform us before we simply are like, hey, you've got something wrong with your life. How, how is Scripture reading you? How is scripture revealing your motivations and your thoughts, as Hebrews 4.12 would say? Allow it to do that in your life. Allow it to overcome your preference. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. All these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. The word of God has power in your praise. The word of God has power in your praise. I know for me, I struggle with wanting to build my platform, with wanting to build my popularity, with wanting to have prosperity in my life. And the temptation is sometimes to compromise my praise of God to get those things. What about you? Do you ever find yourself trying to embezzle the glory of God? Maybe not directly like doing it outright, but you find yourself trying to take what God has given you and, and be, be proud about it. Anybody? The reality is, is whatever you don't turn to praise will turn to pride. Whatever you don't turn to praise will turn to pride in your life. So the good that you have in your life, praise God. The hardships that you have in your life, praise God because God wastes nothing. Whatever you don't turn to praise will turn to pride in your life. We, have, we all worship. We all worship. We all have this tendency to want to worship something. In his commencement address at Keenan College, the novelist and social critic David Foster Wallace eloquently said it this way, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. He would go on to warn that if we worship the wrong thing, it will consume us. I would change that to say whatever you worship will consume you. 
If you make the choice to worship God, it will consume everything you do. The outlook you have on family, the outlook you have on your worldview, how you interact with people, it will consume you. The level you worship God will consume you. If you worship beauty and romance and sex, you will always feel ugly and lonely. If you worship money and stuff and the extra car you don't need, you will always feel poor and disconnected and unhappy with the life you actually have. If you worship success and platform, you will be extremely lonely because you will be unable to celebrate others' success and you will always use people to guarantee your success. Whatever you worship will consume you. And Jesus could look at everything that, that Satan was promising and a little piece of that might have even come up that this would make my mission so much easier if I could just have the nations right now. And I didn't have to go to the cross. But stepping out of the will of God for our success never ends well. Stepping outside of the will of God never ends well for our success. It's like blowing up a balloon. It looks really big, but on the inside it's hollow. So Jesus reminds us that what we choose to worship matters. And in every single one of these needs, I know I've been guilty of this. When I'm in need, I compromise when I was right on the, on the verge of breakthrough. I compromise in the face of temptation when I was right on the other end of breakthrough. The angels ministered to Jesus only after he had faced the temptation. God was, God saw what he was walking through. God knew what he was walking through. And God was acting on his behalf. However, he had to walk through temptation first. And I, and I want to ask myself this question, and I want to ask you the question. What spiritual breakthrough is on the other side of your temptation? What spiritual breakthrough is on the other side of your temptation? Be faithful. Don't give up. And don't lean on your own understanding and your own strength. Lean on the word of God. The sword of the spirit is alive and active. Discern the tricks and the lies of the enemy. Because here's the thing, Satan is not creative. He's not. He has tempted us, humanity, the same way all of history. He tempted Eve the same way that he tempted Moses, the same way that he tempted Jacob, the same way that he tempted David, the same way that he would tempt Jesus the same way that he tempts us. He uses the same tired tactics. So through the sword of the spirit, let's discern what the temptation is. Let's discern the will of God and let's place ourselves underneath the authority of that. I'm gonna ask Rebecca to come. But the good news is, too, that Jesus is so much more than just a good model of resisting temptation. There was so much more at work here than just simply 40 days of not eating and facing three temptations and having angels come to minister to him. The setup was powerful. Before Jesus would enter into his public ministry, he had to endure the test. He was confirmed in baptism and the spirit was on him, but the spirit drew him to the wilderness. 
And the reason that Jesus was tempted was not so that the father could learn anything about his son. He had already given Jesus his divine approval. Jesus was tempted for us. He was tempted so that every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth would know that he was the conqueror. Because of his victory, we can have victory. You can have victory. Your circumstances are not too big for Jesus. See, Adam and Jesus both met the tempter. They both met the accuser. They both met Satan. Adam met Satan in a beautiful garden. Jesus met him in a terrible and dry wilderness. Adam had every single thing he could ever want or need. Jesus was starving and desolate and depleted. Adam failed and plunged humanity into sin and death. But Jesus overcame and had victory over the tempter. And he would go on to defeat Satan on the cross for us. So this isn't just a message of saying, hey, do better, or hey, you need to do this, or hey, you're terrible. It's saying, no, we need to look to Jesus because the word not only informs us, but it empowers us to walk as Jesus would want us to in his image. You see, our deepest hunger, I shared it earlier, our deep hunger to know the presence of God is found in the word of God. So I wanna finally remind you that the word has power over your identity, over your identity. Because Satan still whispers the same thing. If you're a son of God, if you're a daughter of God, then why? If you're really a son of God, then why did you get that diagnosis? If you're really a daughter of God, then why is your marriage on the rocks and just kind of crumbling? If you're really a son of God, then why is your family in need? Why are you financially going through struggles? If you're really a daughter of God, why are you, why are you depressed and anxious? If you're really a son of God, then why did you just sin? Can you hear his voice? I know I've spent far too long listening to the voice of the enemy to define my identity than listening to the voice of God that has already proclaimed my identity, that I'm in Christ and I'm a new creation and that the old is gone and the new has come. And I wanna remind you, church, that your greatest strength is to give God your weakness. Not to try to do it in your own strength or your own power or to just resist and be good enough because the reality is you can't. I can't. Without Christ making a way, there is no way. So our greatest strength is to give God our weakness and say, I'm weak, God. Paul knew this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, but he said to me, this is Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul responds, therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. 
This is not an invitation for us to simply give in to temptation. It is to say when we're in the midst of temptation to admit our weakness and the Holy Spirit will come and empower us to overcome temptation through the word of God. Because the reality is we don't serve a God that doesn't know us. We serve a God who knows what you're going through. He knows the temptations that you're facing. He knows the trials you're going through. Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. He knows. He knows. He knows how enticing it might seem to give in. He knows how easy it would be just to quit and to walk away. He knows. Yet he overcame. And here's the strength I want us to grab. Therefore, because he knows, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love this picture with boldness, with confidence, not with your head low saying I'm less than, but with your head high saying I know where I need to go to find strength because it's not here, it's not in myself, it's not in my own works, it's not in my morality, it's in Christ. Grace is so much more than just unmerited favor, it is strength to keep going when you feel like quitting. It's wisdom when you're facing challenging situations and you don't know where to turn. Maybe with your kids and you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to raise them the way that they should go so that they will not depart from it. There's wisdom and there's grace. So when the enemy reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. When the enemy reminds you of your past and saying, are you really a son of God? Because you just screwed up and said, I might, but I know where the throne is. I know where I'm going. I might be weak, but I know where I'm going to find strength. And it's not here talking to you. It's not here listening to your lies. It's going to the throne. Remind him of his future. He's been defeated. And there will be a day soon while he will be defeated forever, forever. So where will you go today? Where, how do we, we all need to come to the throne. But what's your reasoning? Is it to receive identity and reminder of who you are in Christ? Is it to be strengthened in the midst of your need and your struggle? Is it to place yourself once again under the authority of Scripture and say, God, I would have done it a different way, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. Is it to praise him for his goodness? The word has power and is alive and active in our lives. And while the forces of hell are real and temptation is real, the power and assistance and the word of God are real as well and alive and active in our lives. 
So I want to encourage you, take up your sword and come to the throne. Take up your sword and come to the throne. If you want to understand the word of God, go to the throne, ask God, God, I want your word to come alive to me. I want your word to come alive to me once again. I want your word to speak to my situations where I'm at right now. And the beauty is that the Holy Spirit will begin to illuminate things to empower your story. If you're a part of our prayer team, can you just come forward right now and let's stand, church. If you have any needs, if any of this message has stirred something inside you or you wanna make a, a first-time decision to follow Jesus, we want you to come pray with someone. It's not because they're more spiritual than you are. It's simply because we believe that there's power when we do it together. There's power in saying, we will always be an imperfect people chasing after a perfect God who responds to our needs. That's what we're about. That's why prayer is so important is we're grabbing hands, we're saying, why don't we do this together? So any need at all, I encourage you to come forward. And I'm, in a moment, I'm gonna ask our pastor to come up and get, speak a blessing. But if you wanna hang out in this place and just worship, that's totally acceptable. But I encourage you to take a step.